Good morning, I'm Pastor Allen. Glad that you're here. We started a series last week. We usually speak for a month or so on a, one topic called Strapped, about your personal finances. And most of us aren't literally strapped, but many of us are financially strapped. So today's topic is reading the fine print. But before we go there, we thought we would help you, especially those of you who cut grass, those of you who cut grass for a living, sorry, but um, here's an option for folks. Some of you don't get that. My wife and I are vegans. That's why we're showing this. <laughs> so she, she's the actual one that will come and do your grass for you, okay? Just to make that clear. So um, we are in a series about finances, and we're here to try and help you. We're not here to try and get something from you so you can just relax. The offerings are placed already passed, and we won't collect it again, okay? So we started last week with saying, what's, a, what's one way we can kind of understand how to not be strapped, or the positive side is to be balanced in our finances. And so we said, if you use the principles of physical balance and apply them to finances, that would be a big, big step. So we talked about three laws of physical balance last week. The first one was reference point. We used this as an illustration. For me to balance this bat, I've got to have a reference point, a focus. I've got to keep my eye on, in this case, the top of the bat. And if I do that, I have a better chance than not, because if I look away, there's no way I can do it, right? And so last week we talked all about the reference point, and we gave you a reference point. We gave it to you in a rhyme, help you remember it. And so here we said, in your personal finances, this should be a reference point. You need to be knowing where all your money is going. So I challenged you, I gave you homework to each day this week to write down the day, what you bought, and how much it costs. And if it's a husband and wife, you should put your initials beside it. So my wife and I did that even though we've been doing this for years. And hopefully you did that. And hopefully it helped you understand where some of your money is going that maybe you didn't realize. You need a system. You can use some other system. This is a simple system I just suggested. All right, so the uh, next law is constant corrections. So when I'm trying to balance this bat, I have to have constant corrections. I've got to continually move my hand and my body if I'm going to balance it. By the way, my grandson was a lot better at this than I am. But anyway, constant correction. And we're going to spend probably the next three weeks talking about different areas of correction. Today I want to focus on the third one, which is clear objective. So what is my objective with this bat? My objective is to keep it upright. That's my objective. So that's why I'm moving. That's why I'm focused. That's why I'm making corrections. Hey, I did pretty good that time. All right? That's my objective. So, speaking of personal finances, then what should be or what is the proper objective for our personal finances? And to understand... The proper objective for our personal finances, we need to know how God views our money and stuff. That is, if you're a Jesus follower. Now, if you're not here, you're not, and you're here this morning, the principles we're talking about through this whole series will be helpful to you. And, uh, uh, but your objective may be a little bit different. But we're going to focus on what should be our focus if we are Jesus followers. We have to know what God's view, because his view should be our view. <clears throat> So we're going to ask the question this morning and try and answer for you. What is our basic overall objective when it comes to money? What is your basic overall objective? 
Now, if I was to talk to you individually, I'm sure I'd get lots of different answers. For example, for many people, it's to take care of my family. My objective, the reason I work is to take care of my family. Put a roof over their head, provide food, clothing, transportation, the basics of life. That's a fine objective. That's a fine goal. We all probably have that as part of our goal. But it's not, you can still be out of balance with that being your goal. You may not be helping anybody else, which would be uh, not being balanced. You may not be saving. You may about to be doing some, some other things you need to be doing. Somebody might answer this question, oh, it's just to make as much money as I can. I'm just going to make money, make money. I'm going to get two or three jobs. I'm going to work all the time. Uh, that may be fine. People that, most people that like that aren't very happy or the relationships aren't very good because they don't put any uh, focus or time and energy into that. It's all into making money. So that's not balanced. Somebody else may say, it's just to save as much as I can. I want to save. I want to, when I die, I want to leave millions of dollars to my kids, what I don't think is a good idea. But that's your, it could be a goal. <clears throat> Again, it wouldn't be very balanced, but that could be a goal or objective to make as much money as possible. For many Americans, unfortunately, they wouldn't say this. If I asked you, you wouldn't answer it this way, but your finances would prove it, that your objective is to spend as much money as you can. To buy as much stuff as you can, to do as much stuff as you can. And that's why we're going to talk about next week, debt. If you have consumer debt, you wouldn't say this is your objective, but your finances prove that this was your objective, to spend more than you make. So your objective is to spend as much as possible. That's certainly not balanced, and that'll, that'll cause you a problem. The flip side is you may want to give everything away. I just want to give it all away. I'm not going to pay my, my responsibilities. This can be irresponsible. I'm not going to pay my rent. I'm not going to pay for my, my utilities. I'm just going to give it all away. That would be irresponsible. That's not, obviously, a, a balanced approach. Uh, one goal, I think is a really good goal, but not a balanced goal, is to be financially free. Dave Ramsey teaches that. Financial class we teach. Being financially free. The problem is, or can be, when you're financially free, you have extra. And we're going to talk about this next week. And when you have extra without discipline, we talked about last week, then that's going to cause you to be imbalanced and cause you to have problems. Uh, you're financially free, but you can, you know, be wasting your money or, or spending on things that are inappropriate or whatever. So when we try and answer this question, we need to keep this in mind. We need a moral compass. We don't want an immoral compass, right? We don't want an immoral reason for us to be... Uh, objective for our finances. So we need a moral compass. Now, to try and answer this question, the Bible's unified on this. We can read it in the New Testament, we read it in the Old Testament. We're actually going to look at a story from the Old Testament I think is pretty cool. And this principle will be liberating to you. It might be a little scary, but it can be really liberating when you understand or make this your basic objective with your personal finances. Now, something we reminded of you of last week is this. God doesn't want something from you. And we're going to see why in a minute when we read this prayer of David. God wants something for you. He wants you to be in a relationship with him. He wants you to be free financially and otherwise. He wants you to have your sins forgiven and be, spend eternity with him in heaven. He wants you to be uh, a kind, loving person. There's lots of things God wants for you. But there's nothing God wants from you. So we're going to look at a story about, from, the, from King David. David was the second king of Israel. He lived about 
thousand years before Jesus. So what we're talking about happened three thousand years ago. Isn't that amazing? We read a, a prayer of somebody who lived three thousand years ago. This was interesting. Uh, a lot of skeptics believe that this person David never existed. Well, we were in Israel about a month ago in the museum. We pointed out there's this stone uh, plaque or whatever uh, where some king is bragging about the fact that he defeated the family of David. And so now we have archaeological pr proof that there was a family of David that literally existed 3,000 years ago. Those of us who believe the Bible believed it anyway, but now we have concrete proof or evidence. So David unified the country. He defeated their enemies. He got to a place where it was kind of peaceful. He established the capital in Jerusalem, uh, which we were able to visit. And so he builds himself a palace, and he's one day, just according to what we read, he's thinking to himself, I've got this beautiful palace to live in, and God's living in a tent. Now, a little bit of Old Testament history. Uh, the Israelites believed that God dwelt in what they called the tabernacle. It was a big, fancy tent. had a holy of holies, and in the holy of holies was the Ark of the Covenant, and in the Ark of the Covenant was tablets that Moses brought down from Mount Sinai and some other things. And the tent would go wherever they went. And this was fine when you're a nomadic people. Uh, that's the only way you could do it. But now they're, they're uh, centralized. They're located in Jerusalem and surrounding area. And, and so David has a palace and God's still living in a tent. He said, this isn't right. God should have a palace. or We call it a temple uh, too. So he, he gets all jacked up. He gets all excited about this. He said, I'm going to build God a house, a temple. But God comes to David and says, I'm sorry, David. I need to tell you this. Uh, I can't allow you to do this. You're, you're, you're disqualified from doing this. You've got too much blood on your hands from defeating all your enemies. Now, if you and I are David, at this point, what are you thinking? Well, God, I was just doing what you wanted me to do. How could you blame me for doing what you wanted me to do? Besides, aren't you a forgiving God? You, you forgive me for what I've done? But it's amazing. David doesn't do that. David doesn't push back like we all often do against God. He didn't push back about, against God. He said, okay, that's fine. My son Solomon will build the temple. But well, I'm going to do everything I can do to help him. So I'm going to hire architects. I'm going to raise money. He got money out of the treasury. He gave, if you read the statistics, it's amazing. It's like billions of dollars that he raises from his own personal finances from the temple. He gets the, the major families and surrounding families together and, and, and they give money. So he's just got all this money pouring in. And he says to most of them, you will never see this temple built. You're giving it something to never see. But that was his goal. And so he's all jacked up. He's raising all this money. And then we read in, uh, in this Old Testament account where he, pray, he, he has the people gather together. He prays this prayer. And in this prayer... We're going to discover his view or approach to finances, which I think is a good guide or instruction for us. Like I said, it's echoed also in the New Testament. So this is in a book called Chronicles, First Chronicles. This talks about, about David and his time here. And we're going to pick it up in verse 10. The first part of the chapter talks about him raising all the money. <clears throat> so David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly. O Lord, the God of our ancestor Israel, may you be praised forever and ever. So this is kind of a general uh, starter introduction. He said, may you be praised forever and ever. Uh, we would imply with everything forever. Then he gets a little more detailed. He says, yours, O Lord, 
<clears throat> Here's the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory. Can we get that up, please? The majesty. <laughs> Everything in the heavens and on earth, there we go, is yours, O oh Lord, and this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things. So, <laughs> this is interesting. If you were somebody living at this time in that place, this would describe who? Greatness, power, glory, and victory, and majesty to King David. That's, that's who you would be thinking. And he said, even though I am the earthly king, there's somebody bigger and more important. This is our, our heavenly father. He, he is our king. Everything in the heavens and on earth is yours. Everything is yours, God. We would say he created everything. And this is your kingdom. I'm a king, earthly king, but you're truly the king. And you're the one who is overall, we would say, you're all-powerful, in control. So he says, even though I'm popular and famous and I'm the king, it's really, life is all about you, God. And he goes on. He says, wealth and honor come from you alone. For you rule over everything. Comes from you alone. Power and might are in your hand. And at your discretion... People are made great and given strength. So we can think about this a little bit. At God's discretion. So why am I, why was I born when I was born, where I was born? Why do I have the DNA I have? Well, how do I, or why do I have the talents and abilities I have? They're different than talents and abilities you have. I didn't choose them. You didn't choose them. Where did it come from? God did, right? God chose you to be born in the United States at this time, live in the United States at this time, to have the family you had, to have the abilities, the, the mental capacities that you have, the physical capacities. You know, I'm not an NBA basketball player. God didn't give me an NBA basketball player's body. He did other people. So why? How, God did that. None of us chose that. None of us decided that. That was God's discretion. And if you're living in David's time, you say, well, David, you, you won all these victories. You were this great general, and you, you say, say, put our nation together, and you built this capital. It was all about you, David. And David said, no, no, no. You know, I might have literally done these things, but I, I shouldn't take the credit. All the credit goes to God, because I couldn't have been the warrior I was. I couldn't have the, you know, the organizational skills I had if it wasn't that God had given them to me. Now, I got to thinking about this. I'm kind of a right brain person, logic thinker, and so forth. I struggle a little bit with left brain people, kind of creative types. Uh, they just kind of seem to be out there, probably vice versa. You know, they probably think about that, about, about me. But I didn't choose to be right brain, and they didn't choose to be left brained. And we're all creative. If you're a Jesus follower, God dwells in you, you, you have the creator of the universe in you. So we all should be creative, but it's just a different way of thinking. And again, that was God's discretion. And I appreciate, you know, musical people, uh, 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 left brain people. And so do you. And some of you are. So how would we summarize what he's saying in this prayer? And I think this is the easiest way to think about it. Everything belongs to God. Everything comes from God. And everything is dispersed by God. Everything. So when I say it's my house, well, it's not really my house. It's God's house, right? My car, my clothes. Everything belongs to God. Everything comes from God. Well, no, no, I, I work for it. Well, wait a minute. Well, where did you get the ability and the strength and the opportunity to work for it? 
I guarantee you, right? Everything comes from God, and everything is dispersed by God. He makes those decisions. Then he goes back to his opening theme. God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. And then he makes it really clear, I think, in this next verse. And this is as far as we're going to read. You can read, read more of it if you'd like. But who am I and who are my people that we would give anything to you? Wait a minute. You know, I, we took an offering. I gave God some money this morning. No, no. Who am I to give anything to you? Everything we have came from you. So I'm only just giving back what you gave me, right? So I'm not really giving you anything. I'm returning it. And we give only what you first gave us. Now with that mindset, with that concept, that all belongs to God, it comes from God, is dispersed by God, we can't give him anything that he didn't give first give us, what drives our personal finances? What should be our goal or objective? So I'm going to suggest one to you this morning. Praise was a little difficult to understand, so we're going to use a different word. Our objective should be to honor God with everything. And we understand honor, I think. I'll give you some illustrations in a minute. Now, I don't know if you grew up in church. I didn't grow up in church as a kid, but when I became, became a teenager, I started going. And I was taught a principle called tithing. That means we give 10% of what you get to God. It, it's in the Bible. It's, it's a good principle. Um, and so when I got a dollar, I'd give God 10 cents. So I got $10, I'd give him a dollar. If I got $100, I'd give him $10. When it got to be hundreds of dollars, though, it started to get more difficult. Uh, so, you know, if I made $500 to give that, you know, God $50, am I going to, you know, give God $50? Um, not thinking, of course, I've got 450 that I keep for myself, right? But that was kind of the mentality I'd have. I give him 10% and, and, and I keep the rest. Or I get to do what I want to with the rest. Now, that's a horrible principle. And we're going to find out that why. Because it's not like pay God off with 10% so you can do what you want with the other 90%. What did we just read? Everything belongs to God. Everything is dispersed by God. So it all belongs to Him. So consequently, I should honor Him not with 10%, but with what? The whole thing. Now, I came across a statistic. The average American gives about 2% of their stuff away to charities or churches or whatever. 2%. Now some of us give way more than that. means that some people are giving what? Way less than that. But this was horrible. You know which group of people are the worst givers? Politicians. We have enough problems with our government as it is. But they're the stingiest people by profession are politicians. Anyway, 2%. So tithe is 10%. I don't know how many people, I don't think many people tithe these days. I think it's a good principle. We'll probably talk about it in coming weeks. So this is, uh, this is not about just giving then. It's about living. If it all belongs to God, it's all dispersed by God. It's about our whole life, our lifestyle. So another way to say it, Scripture teaches that we are to honor God, not with a percentage, <laughs> pay him off with 10%, but with all of it. So let me try and illustrate it. <clears throat> couple illustrations. Say you want, want to come borrow our car. My wife's car is nicer than mine. It's a 2012 Acura. By the way, we haven't bought a new car since 1980 as part of our financial beliefs. 
But anyway, you buy new cars, that's fine. But we haven't bought one since 1980. So this car wasn't new. It's a very nice car, but it's not new. And it's got over 100,000 miles on it now. But you borrow this car and you keep it for a week or however long you keep it. And then when you return it, you say, okay, we, you know, it's gotten dirty on the outside. It's dirty on the inside. You know, we got trash from going to a fast food restaurant, whatever. So I want to honor the young buyers by returning their car. So I'm going to clean 10% of it. I'm going to take 10% of the trash out of the inside. I'm going to, you know, wash 10% of the outside. And I'm going to return it to them and say, here, I want to honor you by the way I return your car. Now, will we feel honored? No, we wouldn't feel honored. You can't honor me with 10%. Let me give you even a better illustration, I think, anyway. 42 and a half years ago, I walked down the aisle. Uh, well, she walked down the aisle my, with my beautiful bride. Okay, we got married. And usually in wedding ceremonies, there's some vows. And usually in those vows, there's this word honor, isn't there? And so, I pledged to honor her. Now, my, my mother-in-law and father-in-law, my father-in-law is not longer around, but my mother-in-law was there. She was in the first service. And I said to her, okay, preacher, you need to stop here. I am vowing to honor my wife, but I'm only going to honor her 10% of the time. And my mother-in-law is going to be good with that, right? And she's going to say, no, yeah, wait a minute, guy. Yeah, you better honor her with 100%. So if that will be true with my bride, or your bride, or your spouse, how much more should it be true <laughs> with our relationship with God? So, this is not a percentage thing. This is an honor God thing. Now, part of the problem is we're afraid. We're afraid to give it all to him because what he's going to take or not give to us. Now, this is kind of crazy when you think about it. Logically, if God is truly all-powerful, do you think you can keep anything back from him that he didn't want to take? If you can, you've got a too small of a God. So if he wants it, he can take it, whether you give it to him or not. Secondly, and we'll put this on the screen. God doesn't want to take your money. Or take the money he's given to you back from you. He doesn't want your money to take you. He doesn't want your money to, to captivate you. He doesn't want your money to be your God. He doesn't want your money to have your heart. So again, say it again. God doesn't want something from you. He wants something for you. And you say, well, why do you say that, Pastor? What's the proof of that? How do you know? Well, 2,000 years ago, God sent his only son, Jesus, to earth. And Pastor Clint, I didn't ask him this question yet. Anybody else here? Theological question. Does, did Jesus remember heaven when he was here on earth? I hope he didn't. Because earth would be like hell to him after once you've been to heaven. So hopefully God kept that from him. But he came here, lived on earth, he dwelt with us. The Old Testament would say tabernacled with us. And then he, he was treated horribly, he was beaten, he was uh, tortured, and he was crucified. He was killed. Now, when he's nailed to that cross in his last breath, he said, I am doing this because I expect this from you. And so what did he expect? What did he say? What did he expect from us? He said, I'm only doing this if you will do this. Is that in there? It's, you can read it for yourself. Is that in the Bible? No. 
It just says he loved us so much, he sent his son to die for us. No conditions. So that's why I know God doesn't want something from me. God wants something for me. He wants to have a personal relationship with me. He wants me to confess my sins, accept his gift of salvation, eternal life. He wants that for us. And when you decide to do that, there's this, the Bible describes, describes it as indescribable peace that comes. And when I look at a lot of people, and I look at lot, especially at their financial situation, there's not a lot of peace. And if, you're, if your lifestyle is all about you, then there's just not much peace. God says, I can give you peace. You make it all about me. So, okay. What do I do? What do I do? Well, for, I can't answer it specifically for each of you. I can just suggest things. Some of you need to give more. If you're in that 2% or less, you're a selfish person. You need to give more. And if you're in so much debt you can't give, that's another problem. Again, we'll talk about that next week. Some, you don't have to give it here. Give it somewhere. Hopefully you do give it here. Hopefully you believe in this ministry. Some of you, many of us, probably need to save more. We're spending it all. Uh, in our, our Dave Ramsey class, it talks about, I can't remember, it's over 50% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. Well, you're not, you're not saving anything. We get calls to the church. Can you help me with this? Can you help me with this? Because people are living paycheck to paycheck. Shouldn't be. Many of us are spending too much. And if you have consumer debt, debt on stuff that's worth less than, than, than what it's worth now, or on credit cards, you don't even know what you spend it on, you spend too much. You're spending more than <clears throat> you made. All of us have wasted stuff. We bought stuff that was foolish. We waste food. Americans waste tons of food. Some of you need to waste less. Collectible. Some of us have collections. I got to thinking about this this week. I, have, I don't collect a lot. I got a bunch of books. And I got to thinking, none of my kids are going to want most of my books. So what's going to happen to them when I die? They're just going to be disposed of. Well, have the joy of disposing of or giving them away while you still have breath. Some of you need to loan more. Some of you are miserly. Now, when you loan scripturally, you can loan not expecting to get it back. And probably almost all of us need to get out of debt. The Bible says we shouldn't be in debt. We'll talk about that next week. We need to focus on, concentrate on getting out of debt. So all of this, no matter what part involves or, co or connects with you, be able to do this calls for surrender. God, I'm not going to spend like I want to. I'm going to spend like you want me to. I'm going to not save. I'm going to save like you want me to, God. I'm going to give like you want me to give. It calls surrender. And of course, it begins with surrendering your life to Jesus. So let me ask you first if you've done that. We'll give you an opportunity to do that this morning. Uh, many of us are Jesus followers in here. But we haven't surrendered at all, have we? We might have surrendered our time. We might have surrendered our talents. And for many of us, we really haven't surrendered our finances, have we? I like to think about it this way. And Dave Ramsey teaches this. <clears throat> when you have closed fists, nobody can get anything from you, but you can't get anything given to you either, can you? So the approach is to, have, is to have open hands for God to put in whatever he wants and to take out whatever he wants. That's where the peace comes. And if it strikes you as scary, it's because you don't trust God. 
you don't trust him. And we trust is usually gained or earned. So you really haven't had evidently the experience with God that you need to have. You know, I've been a Jesus follower for over 50 years. God has proven himself over and over and over and over to be trustworthy. I know I can trust him. Because he realizes when he gets your heart, he gets you. So I'm going to challenge you to try this. Try surrendering. First your life to Jesus, if you haven't done that. But then surrendering your personal finances to God. Now, your homework last week was to keep track of where your money is going. I would encourage you, some of you didn't do it. I would encourage you, do it this week. And if you did it last week, I'd encourage you to do it again this week. So just one more week, okay? <laughs> For right now, anyway. Just one more week. Keep track of your personal finances. Uh, spouses, do it together. But here's your new homework. Pray daily this prayer. God, show me how to honor you with everything I have. Show me how to honor you with everything I have. Let me ask you a simple question. Will God answer that prayer? What do you think? He'll absolutely answer that prayer. And I'm hoping that you're expecting to hear some exciting stories next week about what happened when you prayed that prayer this week. Again, we're in this series. Hopefully you can join us the next couple of weeks. We're trying to help you in this huge area in our lives, right? Our personal finances. Uh, let's pray. We'll have a song and let you go. Father God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I thank you for this wisdom that David shared with us. And in some ways, it lifts a burden off of me. I call it my house or my car or whatever. But it's really yours, God. Um, I need to be responsible with it. But I just need to do with it whatever you want me to do with it. I don't have to have the weight, the responsibility, the, the burden. And God, for all of us here, this, this financial area is such a challenge. We fall into bad habits so easily. So I pray, God, that we would put in the time and the effort, the energy uh, that you would give us, the insight and the, and, and the willpower, if you will, if you will uh, to do the right things, to make the right decision, that we choose the, the right compass. Because when we don't do things your way, God, it, you, it, it's sin. When we waste things, when we, we run up debt, this is sinful. It's not just a bad thing, it's a sinful thing. So God, please forgive us. We know you will for our bad financial habits. And again, help us in this huge area to honor you, not just with our finances, but with everything, our life, our time, our talents. What a challenge. And God, we thank you that you answered that prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.